Please note our website has changed to riskcommentary.ca. You're listening to the Risk Commentary Podcast. Are you responsible for managing risk but feel frustrated with a confused process? Your host, Edward Robertson, has helped clients not only face uncertainty but also solve chronic business problems by using clear methods with a minimal footprint. Do it right and your people will smile, love the risk process and invite you back. Stay tuned to find out how. This is episode 12, The Risk Register and Breakthrough Risk Mitigation. In the last episode on how to facilitate high-quality risk assessment, we examined some of the finer points on how to conduct the risk ID and assessment session, as well as the details of the risk assessment itself, the fact that it consists of four criteria, four lenses through which we view the risk in order to make a decision on how to respond to the risk. Keep in mind that this is all uh, a generic methodology that was developed and refined over years with many different clients. And so you can check your methods against it, or if you're just starting out, you can use it as a starting point. At all points in this risk methodology, I've tried to be as efficient and sort of minimalist as possible, but still maintaining the quality and the depth of analysis that we need. So at this point, I feel it's important to consider carefully exactly what we've accomplished so far and to see how the risk register in the form that we now have it compares to what you might have taken before to be risk assessment. So if we consider risk assessment the way we've built it so far and expressed it in the risk register, how does it compare with the way you would normally conceptualize risk assessment? First of all, clearly it's not going to be risk assessment from the point of view of one discipline. That is, let's say, risk assessment from the financial point of view. Now, how does financial risk analysis compare and relate to what we're talking about here? That's a different discussion, which I'll get into. But uh, let it be said for now that we're not simply considering the calculations of value at risk and so on. Rather, we're considering the uncertainties that are impinging upon planned goals and objectives. But these are the uncertainties that are revealed by considering all sources of risk, not just through a financial analysis. Second, you'll have to admit that the result here is going to be far better than what we would have gotten through an informal discussion of risk with, let's say, some action items or meeting notes that were taken in a rather random fashion. What we've actually accomplished is semi-quantitative analysis. That is, we've taken qualitative information. This is not easy to do. We've taken qualitative information and somehow assigned ranking and numerical values to it so that we are able to set things in priority according to numerical magnitude. Semi-quantitative analysis took a whole series of qualitative statements and set them in order of criticality. But already, those qualitative statements were infused with a high degree of refinement themselves. I'll you know, insist on this point because they were the result of a careful planning process by eliciting opinion from all of the key people around the project using a consistent definition of the context, a definition of risk, as well as a comprehensive review of all of the various sources of risk. So what we've done is to sort of infuse quality and careful deliberation at each step prior to the risk assessment, even though this would not necessarily take up a great deal more time than you would normally spend in planning and in meetings, the quality that is achieved is much higher. 
Now, since we insisted at the front end on high quality with regard to substantiating goals and objectives and formulating risks in a very precise way, always directly in relation to those goals and objectives and corporate values, the end product, that is the risk register, is a document that expresses a very fine and concentrated analysis The result is that people start to perceive the risk profile of the business in a much more nuanced and insightful way than was even possible before. When you focus on identifying the uncertainty, the precise uncertainty that bears upon the ability to uh, execute on goals and objectives, then you find that the analysis is very incisive indeed. Now, I've seen examples of this time and again where once people get into a risk ID session and start to participate in this Uh, cadence or this rhythm that is developed in uh, identifying the risk, considering the context, identifying the risk, formulating it, checking back, making sure it's correct, then moving on to the next issue. And then uh, as they go through this in a rather disciplined fashion, making sure that you trace through all of the different goals, objectives, and corporate values, then at a certain moment, things sort of reach a critical mass and it clicks over. People start to nod in agreement and they say, okay, now I understand what the true risk profile of this project is. I now understand what risk assessment is really all about. And that, in turn, allows for the identification of mitigation that is not normally considered. So how does this happen? Well, first of all, let's consider two procedural things. First, if you don't have them already, you can consider inviting around the table the people with the highest degree of expertise that you can possibly find with regard to the most difficult risks that you've identified. So often it's bringing to bear this expert knowledge. People who have had experience in this area before that you may not have uh, consulted who can actually bring fresh ideas to the table. Secondly, you can take the risks which are set out in a relational database or a spreadsheet and sort on them according to different categories and then start to shed light on the risk profile in different ways. So, for example, if you sort all the risks by risk category, then you could discover that, let's say, 80% of the risks all have to do with, let's say, training issues. Then again, if you sort the risks on department, you might find out that, let's say, 60% of the risks reside in one part of the organization that needs special attention. So instead of spending resources on risk mitigation in a rather fragmented way where you encounter issues here and there, you're setting clear priorities and you're coordinating your mitigation efforts. Now, in searching for breakthrough mitigation, there's something else that happens that's worth mentioning that is really the result of the rigor of the process and the quality of the information you've developed. You see, there's a distinction between perceived risk, what people imagine to be the risk at the start of the process, and then what people perceive to be the real risk as a result of your rigorous process. Now, what that leads to is a realization. Something is stated that was perhaps floating around in people's minds before, but it was never articulated. It was never conceived of as a risk simply because it was the water that all the fish were swimming in, so to speak. It's only that sort of detailed and exhaustive analysis which can suddenly reveal something to be fundamental. And sometimes it takes the facilitator to to name that issue. Oftentimes, this sort of thing results in identifying a fundamental risk that has to do with a trust issue, something that is difficult to, to, to bring to the table and actually express and admit to. But 
uh, in the face of this logical analysis, it's, it becomes inescapable that you know that could be the real risk that is underlying the whole um, project, the whole uncertainty that is surrounding this this endeavor. Now, this leads to positive action. I've seen this happen where people, once having defined, uh, identified an issue that is fundamental to their risk profile, that is really undermining their, their efforts on a broad scale, uh, once they admit this, then they can start to you know, consider ways to address it. And even if they can't fix it themselves, they can appeal to a higher authority. They can get help to somehow solve this problem. It could have to do with establishing trust between the core agency and one of its stakeholders. It could have to do with um, the fact that personnel are getting burnt out and it's not uh, politically or culturally appropriate to admit that issue or even bring it to the table as, as a problem because it's just considered to be whining. Whereas if you have the risk register completed to point to as evidence, you can say this is not a subjective whining. This is an objective problem that is affecting the delivery of our services. Many solutions in healthcare, for example, have to be evidence-based. And it's hard to marshal evidence in many areas where it relies on the subjective experience of groups of people. So this is the best way I've seen to collect subjective experience around a given issue and yet do so in a balanced way with all different viewpoints being expressed and then being able to aggregate and quantify the information in a way that has credibility and rigor. All right, so you can consider how the most critical risks have been identified in this structured process, and now you're considering them with the help of perhaps some expert participants sitting around the table. You've highlighted aspects of the risk profile that you hadn't realized before by sorting on risk information in different categories. You've got perhaps the realization that there are fundamental issues that were never admitted before that are really staring you in the face by virtue of the clear evidence in the risk register. So all this leads to the possibility for dramatic or breakthrough risk mitigation. You've finally arrived at the point where you've got uh, unequivocal identification of a real problem, and you're concentrating your efforts on trying to solve it. The solution need not be particularly novel. It's just the fact that you're taking action that makes it special. I've seen a case, for example, where a very conservative culture agreed to take courses in interpersonal relations and negotiation, something that they would never normally consider to do. There again, I saw a group that was able to identify professional burnout as the most critical risk and finally get help with the issue. Now, when you're dealing with risks of this magnitude that fundamentally undermine the efforts of the organization, then, of course, it's entirely feasible to take it offline and to create the mitigation as a sort of side project to arrive at the most innovative, the most effective solution that can possibly be found. And that's not wasted time because that's going to fix the core business. Now, at the strategic level, I've seen solutions that consisted in things like uh, giving more resources to this program or that program or attenuating the resources and perhaps closing off this program or that program. Now, those sorts of decisions are not easy to arrive at because they, are, they involve considerable amounts of uh, resources and uh, they involve personnel, they involve staff. And yet you can't make a decision like that unless you balance out all of the various possibilities, all of the various risks in a strategic view and in a process, again, that has a structure, that has credibility, that can be signed off by all the various participants. 
In another example, a dramatic or breakthrough mitigation was found by a group by virtue of them considering corporate values as risk criteria. Before that, they had an operation that was going uh, seemingly pretty well on the surface, and yet they were experiencing uh, bad press, so to speak, criticism, complaints, but no fault could be found upon reviewing the mechanics of the operation. The dramatic risk mitigation was formulated after they considered the fact that their values, that is, their rules on how to treat clients, were not being consistently followed. There's a point of process that bears mentioning here. When you get to the stage of risk mitigation in high-quality risk assessment, often it's later in the process, uh, that is, later in the day, and people are tired. They actually might be anxious to end the meeting and uh, you know, carry on with their, their working lives. But if you think about it, this is not the part of the process to shortchange. You want to take a break. Make sure that people come back to the risk mitigation portion of the exercise with a fresh mind, with fresh energy. Because after all, if you don't focus your energies here and really uh, arrive at solutions to the most critical risks that you've identified, then the whole process will have been for naught. Well, let's circle back around now to the risk register and make some comments on the significance of that document. The value that you've created by fixing the planning process, by creating the context paper, by convening risk ID sessions on major projects and endeavors for the organization, all of this value is not lost, but is rather perpetuated as you go forward because the risk register is transformed from a static snapshot of the risk profile into a dynamic management document. What that means is you use the risk register as a way to manage the business, to manage the project going forward. So you can review the risk register at regularly scheduled meetings by seeing which mitigation strategies have been acted upon, which ones are complete, which ones are still outstanding, what new risks might have come up that need to be added, and which old ones uh, can be retired. And in that case, uh, you don't delete the risks from the risk register. You simply strike them through so that you're still able to read them that way you can refer to the document at a later date when you're comparing it to a similar project. You can see historically what the risks were that you identified, that were mitigated, the ones that came to pass, and so on. I mentioned before about how so much meeting time is wasted, and that's been shown in the studies. And introducing the risk register, which you've taken a lot of care and time to build properly into the management practice to actually help you run meetings and make them more efficient and to stay on track, could be very beneficial. Well, let's review what we covered today. Here's a summary. Number one, facilitating high-quality risk assessment signifies not only procedural tips that we've been discussing, but also reviewing four distinct criteria for each risk. Those were likelihood, consequence, tolerance, and existing controls. Number two, the risk register, when complete, consists of highly refined and carefully qualified information and has validity by virtue of the quality that went into the planning and risk ID processes. Number three, the result is that participants are able to gain a much more complete, nuanced, and incisive view of the risk profile than they would normally think of. And finally, number four, this enables, in turn, dramatic breakthrough risk mitigation, often consisting of finally recognizing and solving fundamental and chronic business problems that were undermining the organization's mission and operations. Well, to close off today's episode, let me give you a brief quote on the nature of some of the more challenging problems encountered in organizations. 
Quote, poorly understood chronic problems often have to do with the nebulous and difficult questions of communications and working relationships. So I hope that today's episode was helpful to point to ways to identify and get to the bottom of some of these more difficult challenges and actually solve them. Thank you for listening. Please note our website has changed to riskcommentary.ca. Visit today for episode transcripts as well as books and online courses. That's riskcommentary.ca.